0: Good
1: morning. Thank you for joining us for Three Women, Three Ways. We're the radio show that talks about current events and women's issues and uh, domestic violence and all sorts of things that are of interest in the news today, and we know from uh, the news we've had a lot of uh, talk about uh, domestic violence here in the past, and today we are very fortunate to have with us uh, a guest who uh, works with a program in, um, I believe it's Texas. Bart, are you there? San Antonio.
0: San Antonio, Texas. San
1: Antonio, yeah. And uh, what Bart Sherwood does is he works, he's the co founder and executive director and president of the board of directors at Tadsaw. And what that is is, uh, well, tell us what that means.
0: Tadsaw is the acronym for Train a Dog, a Warrior. In uh warrior. Which, just name Yeah. And,
1: okay,
0: uh, let me.
1: So, yep. Yeah. And he is a former U.S. Army reservist serving from 1971 to 77 while he was in college. And he's a registered pharmacist in Texas. And, uh, he's just done all sorts of things. And, uh, he co founded Train a Dog Save a Warrior in 2010 while a member of, uh, um, Pennies from Heaven Foundation, a therapy dog organization, uh, he was a member of that. And uh, he saw the necessary or the need for uh, the service dogs to help soldiers. And the main reason, one of the main reasons that service dogs can help soldiers is with those who are suffering from PTSD, and this means a lot to people in the domestic violence arena because as many as 80% of the survivors of domestic violence have PTSD. So the, even though we're talking about soldiers, we're also going to be talking about a lot of women's issues, women's soldiers, and all of the service dog information applies to women who have PTSD from whatever reason, as well as soldiers who have PTSD. So welcome aboard, Bart, and am glad to have you here.
0: Well, Heather, thank you for having me.
1: Yeah. Now you uh, are the show. Are- Tell us about how you, you uh, got started, but first let me toss out our number. This is a really interesting show, I think, that we're going to have for dog lovers, for veterans, for uh, so many areas. Uh, right now the call-in number is 646-378-0430. That's 646 646-378- 378 0430. We'd love to have your input and have you join us for questions for Bart or comments or if you have a service dog of your own. Um, Bart, tell us, what can a service dog do for somebody with PTSD? Well, you know what? Let's uh, so back up. What is okay. PTSD? Why is it a concern?
0: PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder, and it's the result of a behavior that has been observed some experience that has caused a traumatic impact on your life and in your memory, and it's a real learned observation of your life and what has occurred to it. It's not something that's made up as a fairy tale or or a story that, that, that you want to use. I mean, it's something that has impacted your life and will change the way you will be forever and ever. Uh, you can't cure PTSD. You can treat but you can't treat it via the normal way that most healthcare providers want to do, which is through drugs. Most of these drugs that are used for PTSD are only certainly good enough for PTSD that's a result of mental illness, where there's some kind of neurotransmitter lacking in the brain or something going wrong in the brain. PTSD itself is because of a bad memory. And even though they use these drugs, it's mainly because of the side effects that they're using it—the drowsiness, the, the uh, lesser anxiety, the calming effect of the drug. But it really doesn't do anything as far as the memory. Exposure therapy to the re- circumstance or the situation, repeated and repeated, it works in some degrees. But most of the time, people just say, "Yeah, I'm cured," and they walk out still with their PTSD because they're just tired of talking in this clinical situation. A therapy group. Yeah. The dog actually provides a, a additional effect, benefit in the fact that when you focus on a dog, it produces a calming effect. PTSD usually a flashback will certainly uh, cause adrenaline to be released into the system uh, for the fight or flight syndrome. Angiotensin may be released from the kidney to cause an increase in blood pressure. And there's nothing that you can do except possibly doing a biofeedback to go ahead and try to suppress the the rising adrenaline and angiotensin in your system and trying to release oxytocin, which is a calming hormone in the body. When you start petting a dog, oxytocin levels start to increase and adrenaline starts to decrease. And the more you focus on this dog, uh, the more your body responds with greater oxytocin levels. And basically what you're doing is taking all five of your special senses, the sense of sight, sound, hearing, smell, and taste, when you focus on your dog, it suppresses, it just overrides anything else that's going on in your system. And it causes, it doesn't stop the PTSD episode or flashback or memory or anxiety, but it lessens the aftermath of being in it that you realize, no, I'm here with my dog, I'm calming down, everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And it's a form of just biofeedback to the system. Well,
1: and I, I've done a lot of studying about uh, the Americans for Disabilities Act, and one of the requirements of a service dog in order to be, you know, an official service dog under the ADA is it has to perform a task uh, to help you get a, go about your daily living. So uh, one of the tasks that I've seen service dogs do is they sense, when that flashback is going to occur. And sometimes they can just come over and um, you know, get the the person refocused on the dog and and either minimize or completely eliminate that flashback.
0: It's correct, it's, correct. And that's and that's exactly right. Uh the old method of training a service dog and it's still a correct way, there's nothing wrong with it, is to go ahead and teach the dog to respond when you're in the middle of a flashback for you to go ahead and signal to the dog by either a, a, a word that you used or a, a, a gesture by patting yourself on your chest or your leg, telling the dog it's okay to come over because you want to bond with him.
1: And that works.
0: It's great. But if you learn that the dog can sense the change in your body chemistry anywhere from 5 to 20 minutes before that flashback or anxiety attack occurs because of something that triggers it, If you teach the person to be responsive, that the dog's coming over and pushing on you, putting his paw on your foot or trying to get in your lap if you're sitting down, uh, to focus on the dog at that point may be even better because that way you don't have to get into the panic mode and say, hey, I need help. This dog is saying, hey, I smell something going on. Can I help you? Can I be of assistance to you? Don't push me away. Because you can push the dog away and after about two or three times, the next time you have a something triggers your flashback, the dog's just going to wait there for you to call him. Rather than being proactive, you become reactive. Uh And I think that's what makes this program a little bit uh, why so many people are calling about it, because it's making the person be proactive in responding to the dog, trusting the dog that he senses something's wrong. And if you can avoid that aftermath, then you're really – able to control the demons that are in your mind, whether it's caused by uh, seeing somebody die on the battlefield or in the case of, you know, domestic violence, that, that perpetrator. Uh, and all PTSD is all the same. It's It's post-traumatic stress. Something traumatically has affected your life, whether it's in, you know, in time of war, in time of peace, whether it's in a deployment combat situation, whether it's in a non deployed combat situation or in a domestic situ- situation yeah uh, it's there and the best way to treat it uh is of course talking with and trying to figure out what ways you can handle it but some people just cannot handle it some people yeah. are stronger than others and the ones that can handle it they need the help and whether it's with a dog uh or therapy sessions, whatever. But you have to take and try to help somebody. What is what works best for you? Yeah. Some people yeah. paint. Some people write. Some people knit, and then some people prefer a dog. Yeah. And yeah.
1: Now, when you have a service dog, how do you get it trained?
0: The way the the way our well, the way it goes is that uh, according to the ADA, one, you must have a diagnosed deed for that dog you have to have a medical diagnosis of PTSD or whatever. Uh, Two is that the dog uh, must do a task for you that improves your quality of life. Now, you may have several different tasks that the dog does, but you just have to have at least one quality of life task for that dog. Calming is a task for PTSD. It's recognized by the ADA. According to the ADA guidelines of 2010, when... They redefine service dogs. The third thing is that the dog must act appropriately in, in public, which is no barking, biting, snarling, growling, urinating, or defecating in a public place. Uh, if that dog does any of those in a public place, the dog loses its ability to have right of access. It doesn't lose, being a, uh, lose its service dog status, but it loses the right of access to that public place and it, and then, you know, you have right of refusal or right of denial to that place until your dog can, you know, act appropriately. The training is really focused on obedience, obedience, and obedience between the handler and the dog. The dog being in different situations, being around other animals, being around other people, being non-aggressive. And that's a lot of the training is focused on, having a well-behaved dog, having the, the handler know how to... Uh, make the dog behave appropriately and be able to have them refocused on the person. Uh, The other part of the program, you know, of the training is public access work being out in places where you may not normally go because of whatever called your PTSD, uh, the fear factors and knowing that you have now quote, a canine battle buddy by your side to be your protector, even though the word protector is, misused, we don't train a dog to take a protective stance. Uh, Anybody's training service dogs really shouldn't be training dogs to be protective because you don't want the dog to pose a physical threat to somebody else. Uh, As I tell our warrior, well, anybody that has PTSD has the invisible wound. You just don't see it. So therefore you're always being questioned about your dog. Is it a service dog? What's wrong? You look, You look normal. You look healthy. Why do you have a dog? Oh,
1: I I know people who've had nasty notes left on their cars. Uh,
0: Mm -hmm. um,
1: I had an experience once where I was at the gym, and I'd been taking my dog to the same gym, the same Y, for six years. And for some reason, they all knew her. They all loved her. She would sit quietly on the floor, you know, lay on the floor next to the the uh, elliptical trainer as I, you know, trained on the, the elliptical. And she could always tell when my half hour was up. She would stand up just before the timer went off, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, <laughs> which I always thought was, how does she know? How can she tell? She knows. Um, she but- knows. Yeah, but one day I was there, and this woman came up and said, you're not allowed to bring pets in here. And she was just another customer, you know. She wasn't an authority of any sort. And I said, well, this dog is my service dog, and she goes where I go. And the woman gave me a really dirty look and said, oh, yes, and you obviously need a service dog. And I was so missed. I thought, just mm-hmm. because you don't see what my disability is doesn't mean I don't have one. And we get that a lot, don't we, uh, Bart, The people, most, they most can't definitely, I think
0: That's the biggest problem right now. With all the returning veterans from the war, whether they were deployed or non-deployed, in combat or not in combat, with the numbers that are out there, 20% of all returning troops have PTSD in their first year. Yeah. And then the amounts decrease, you know, another 20% the second year, probably 15% the third year, 10% the fourth year. But you just never know when that PTSD, when you're going to be triggered and have that bad memory come out, no matter yeah. how strong you are. You are prone to it. And all you can do is and hopefully those triggers can him. be And
1: those triggers can be a noise, a, a couple of words, a phrase, um, even a look on someone else's face. You
0: know can trigger to yeah a light yeah. a flashing light uh you know the reflection of of a car going by and the the sun hitting that that window and it just hits you at the wrong you know, the wrong way a smell uh snow is a very uh powerful trigger uh, yeah, so whatever triggers you, you just don't know where it's gonna happen when it's gonna happen, but it will happen, and to always have to defend yourself. With a service dog, it just gets it gets to the point where we need to educate the public mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. this is this is a new serv this is a new service dog. It's not because I'm blind. It's not because I'm uh, have a prosthetic leg or I'm mobility assistance or I can't hear. This is mm-hmm. a new type of service dog. It's a medical alert dog. A person who has diabetes. This dog can sense very quickly uh the changes in the blood sugar, whether it's hypoglycemic or hyperglycemic. And that in with a dog you're saving minutes on how you feel. Most people until they until that they start feeling that draggy feeling of yep. I really need to go get sugar, I need to go get a Coke, this dog can tell them quicker that, hey, your blood sugar's starting to go down. You better get something. And yeah. it's not that you're not going to check your blood sugar with your glucometer you're still going to check it because you need to know what's going on. And uh dogs have can predict heart attacks. They know when somebody's not feeling well. And and they have, they have heart palpitations. So these dogs are medical miracles if the medical they society are. would accept them. Unfortunately, the pharmaceutical companies don't make any money on dogs.
1: Yeah.
0: And this is one of the problems with why a lot of, you know, why more Recognition is not being given to use of, you know, canine therapy uh, as a as as a adjunct therapy for for PTSD. Hmm. Uh, and I hate to say that I'm a pharmacist, so my money is made dispensing medications. Yeah. But if people don't need to take a drug, then they don't have to worry about a side effect of that drug.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And and even if they do need to take the drug, you know, if you can minimize the use of the drug. Right. Um, you know, so that you're not taking as much. I mean, it, it's. Um, I I was reading a study recently, and unfortunately, I didn't write down the name of the study, so I can't give you uh, a citation. But the study was basically on using dogs to uh, sniff out prostate cancer, right. and they had their control group Breath of prostate cancer.
0: Uh, uh, uh,
1: uh, well, a prostate cancer. Yeah, yeah and, but I'm
0: saying they, they, they didn't, they're doing it for all cancers now.
1: Yeah, but the, the uh, in their test group, they had one group of men who did not have uh, prostate cancer and another group of men who had all been diagnosed with prostate cancer. And the dogs were uh, missed three. They missed three men. They misdiagnosed. Uh, they got all of the, the men who were diagnosed currently with prostate cancer. But in the control group that did not have prostate cancer, they identified three of the men as having cancer. And they didn't mm-hmm. until six months later.
0: Oh, I was going to say, but didn't they? Did they? Did they recheck those that control groups to yep. see what was coming yep. down the line?
1: Yep, six months later, those three men were diagnosed with uh, prostate cancer. And I, just I think I, the
0: dogs had said something about it before if they had just listened. Yes,
1: exactly, exactly. I mean, we couldn't eliminate so much of you know. Just I, I mean, I, I've always been a dog lover, but since I've gotten involved in the service dog area, it's like. It's a miracle, you know. (laughs) Very much so. Amazing what these animals can do for us. Um, And yet there is prejudice against Mm -hmm. dogs in a service capacity. Um, I'm sure you have your stories of people. I used to work in a very large building with like 5,000 employees. And every day that I went in, I went through the Starbucks and uh, Mm -hmm. then into the main building. And they all knew my dog, but every now and then security would tell me how they would be getting phone calls almost on a weekly basis, that there was a dog in the Starbucks and they had to do something about it and call the authorities. And uh, even though it's not legally required, I always Mm -hmm. had my dog in her vest. Uh, Right. the. Security said that they would ask the person, you know, well, was she wearing a, a service dog vest? Yes, but you can't have dogs in these buildings. Um, so, you know, I uh, again in the same building, I we would go at night and the cleaning people would come in, and the next day it would be the studios would be clean. Mm-hmm. And I started noticing that mine wasn't clean and uh, talked to a couple of people who were there in the evening. The cleaning lady would not go in my office because it had a dog in it. So who knows how long my studio went without being cleaned, um, you know, until I could see, you know, notice the visible dirt. But she right. didn't like dogs, you know, so she wasn't going to clean my, my little cubicle. And I was like... Okay. Really, so where is know? she working
0: now? Is she downstairs in Starbucks?
1: <laughs> well, fortunately, the, the facility had a number of floors. So I just asked management, I said, please put her on a floor where that's not going to be an issue. I You know, um, but uh, there, I, I see a lot of prejudice against uh, service dogs as well as uh, uh, any kind of dog. Do you see that?
0: Well, they, very much so, very much so. Because the snide remarks that are made to the service members about, oh, so you bring your pet to work and they have to yep. decide, oh, no, it's my service dog. Yeah, it's yeah. just your pet. You just want to carry it with you. and it's, it, it's it's the fact that a service dog allows the person to be productive an eight-hour day, if that's what their shift is, rather than having somebody have a something triggered and have a flashback that's going to tie them up for an hour or so or two hours. Yeah. So if a person is able to bring their service dog with them, they're able to be more productive at work. And I fight yeah. with the, you know, I argue with the military on that basis quite often for their active duty uh, warriors that, have, that are in service dog training is that if you allow this dog to come to work, one, you're strengthening the human-canine bond that's existing. You're making the dog learn that it's okay to be at work all day and not have to worry about anything. I'm going to lay here and be quiet. Uh, the other part is it makes the person, the handler, more productive because the only thing he has to do is take his dog out maybe once every two and a half hours for a yep. potty break if the dog gets up and wants to go. But what else they don't realize is that everybody else in the office, a great majority of people, come over to look at the dog and smile, and yep. then they go back to their desk. It just promotes well-being feeling. And I think you said earlier that you know you'd gone you go to restaurants with your dog, or even the gym. And yeah. when you didn't bring your dog, the first question they probably asked you is, is there anything wrong with your dog? Is it sick? Yeah, where's Billy? No, I didn't bring where's him doing... today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well I mean if you were sick, they wouldn't have even asked. Well, why didn't you show up? Were you sick? But if your dog doesn't come to a place that you frequent, they automatically think the dog is sick, and yeah. they worry about the dog. They don't worry about you. They just worry about is your dog okay? <laughs> And and that's what people don't realize. It's the well-being feeling. Business owners, if they would just think about allowing a a service dog into their establishment, if they welcome the service dog, then they're saying to that person, I welcome your business. I want to make you happy here. I want to give you service, and I want you to be happy. This way, when you think about going out to another business, you're going to come to my place, my cafe, my restaurant, because you're treated nice here. Because of your dog. And if it's only because of the the financial reward that the business owner is going to make, then that's fine. Because eventually it's going to be, you know, he really feels good when he sees the dog, he knows everything's good. But because that person's going to come back to that place with other people that don't have dogs. And he's going to tell somebody that hasn't sort dog, Well, if you really want to go out to dinner, go to this place, because I go there all the time and they, they don't hassle me over my dog. And it's not that you're turning your dog, restaurant over to dogs. You're just making your, your restaurant, your business, friendlier, customer yeah. service oriented. And that's what business is about, customer service satisfaction. Absolutely. How do I make my customers happy? You know, yeah. I, I, I've come to realize in the VA system that the reason so many things don't get done in the VA is because when you walk into the VA, they say, what do you want today? Not how can I help you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> when you ask somebody,
0: how can I help you, it means I want to do something for you. When you say, what do you want today, means I'm I'm busy reading a paper, I'm drinking coffee, you're bothering me.
1: Yes.
0: And yes. I think that's what needs to go on in this world is that we need more of a, how can I help you, what can I do for you, Yeah. rather than what you I remember do you
1: want? an anecdote uh, from someone that I knew, he was a flight attendant. And this was several years ago, and uh, some of us might remember who Lee Iacocca is. He was um, kind of a, a famous and very successful head of a Detroit yeah. automotive company. And um, this flight attendant said that they had uh, problems with the planes, and they were missing connections, and everybody on board the plane was, you know, irate and wanting to know how they were going to get here and how they were going to get there. And and he said it was a very stressful situation, da 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 And uh, he said, the Iacoca came up, and he said, how can we make this work? And he said it was so different from, I need this, I need that, why aren't you doing this? And he said he immediately focused all of his intention on, how can we make this work for him? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, because it was a we, and it was a, you know, not a demand this, demand that, but it was a, how can we, what can we do together to make this uh, successful? And I think that it's the same kind of thing you're talking about. If we can see this as, as a, you know a, a problem that we can solve together and make better, um, you know, and everything uh, works more smoothly. Correct. I think, yeah.
0: Correct. The and, military, uh, is, you know, the military is losing the battle uh, with suicides. Uh, in 2010, when we started, when we started Tatsall, uh suicides were 14 a day. In 2013, it was reported they're up to 22 a day, and wow. it's not working. Our numbers are increasing, of the, 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 the warriors, the veterans that are dying, you know, here in the United States, you know, back home is greater than the number that have died in Iraq and Afghanistan for all these years. Wow. So, you know, we have 22 per day, 22, that's uh, 7,500 a year are dying at home when they should be safe at home. We should be worried about how do we restore all these individuals back to their family. They didn't get killed on the battlefield, but we're killing them here in their own backyards. That's the sad part. That is the sad part. That is the part that I don't understand. And I fight continually. I, you know, And it's not a fight, it's an argument between the Department of Defense, between the VA, is why aren't we doing more, to help the survivors? Why are, we not, why are we not looking to say, okay, 22 deaths per day is an acceptable rate, as long as they're old age and they've already had a great life. 22 per day is an acceptable figure for that. But 22 per day yeah. of 18-year-olds, 20-year-olds, 24-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 32-year-olds, that's bad because of they haven't it. had a chance to have their life.
1: Uh, is uh, just a side question. Um, do you also find that elderly vets are committing suicide more frequently?
0: The uh, just the Vietnam vets. You know that Vietnam era veteran who still, yeah. still who still who is, still is, is is in that period of time of, of not being treated correctly, of not having the right uh, the, the right therapy sessions. I mean, they still feel guilty. Uh, Everybody has a guilt complex in PTSD. It's survivor's guilt, or whatever kind of guilt you want to call it. That yeah. They came back. They didn't have any injuries. They, they, they left their comrades dying on the battlefields. Uh, they did something wrong. Uh, it's, and with that, they lose their self-esteem. Uh, I'm sure it's the same with domestic violence it's well it wasn't really i yanked them on it was my fault or i yanked her on and she hit me cuz i'm yeah. sure there's 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 spou- there's male spousal abuse uh yes. also uh well, so 15, you know even though uh, the num- even though the numbers are smaller that it does occur uh yeah. but it, it's that lack of self esteem that you get that confidence that you're no good and like i said whether it's domestic violence or ptsd it's the same thing Uh, you have lost self-confidence in yourself, you've lost your self-esteem, you've lost your trust. But when you start training with a dog, you start building up a little. This is why our program, I think, works, uh, because of the fact you participate in the program from start to finish.
1: Yeah.
0: Are we there? Hello?
1: Yeah, can you hear me? Are we losing you, Bart? Bart, you just got disconnected. Please call in again. Um, we've been having a little trouble with the lines this morning, but um if you would like to join us, please call in. It is um the number to call in is 646-378-0430, and we would love to have you enter our conversation. 646 hello,
0: hello, hello. Hello. There you
1: are, Bart. I was I'm, just giving I'm out sorry. our call-in number, 646 646- three seven eight zero four three zero and uh explain that we we're having a little problem with our connections I, here today. Um, I apologize. Oh, that's okay. I, I I should explain that Bart is on a cell phone and, and if any of you have some of the same experiences that I have on a cell phone, you find that sweet spot and if you vary, if you blink, you've lost that sweet spot in your connection um with some of the cell phones. Um
0: Well I have, a, we I, have I have one of those cell phones that didn't go to college. It's it's it it says it's a smartphone but it's not that smart.
1: So I think they must have <laughs> exactly.
0: you know these phones aren't that smart. If they were smart they wouldn't beep or they wouldn't do things. They would hold on to a a, a signal and and they would make life yeah. a whole lot simpler. If they
1: but were smart was, they would just do what we want them to do when we tell them that's to do it. it, instead of having to that's send us back to college to figure out how to punch buttons. <laughs>
0: or find a five, or find a five-year-old that's not doing anything on his cell phone yeah, or, or game board. Exactly,
1: work. exactly. Mm. You know, I have a, a child who's thirty, and I was asking him some computer problem, and he goes, "You know, I don't know a lot of this stuff. All of this stuff is so new." And this kid was, you know, raised on computers, and I thought, hey, hey, hey. "Welcome Uh-oh. to my world." Uh-oh. <laughs> well, Bart, we were talking, of course, about the veterans and the the PTSD right. dogs. We have not spoken specifically about female veterans and female oh. soldiers. Is that a different right. situation?
0: Female soldiers and and, and, and and any survivor of the no, not really. They undergo the same uh, PTSD. Uh, they they get it from war, from being involved in combat areas, from being supportive people. But you also have uh, three out of five women are are sexually harassed or assaulted in the military.
1: Wow, 60%, three out of five. Sixty
0: percent, sixty percent of females on active duty, whether they're deployed or not, have been have been sexual military sexual assault survivors. And mm. I think the numbers were posted that you know over over twenty five thousand during two thousand twelve of which most of them are just kind of relegated to backseat positions uh in being being looked after. Uh I think there's only I think out of that twenty five thousand there was only uh thirty five hundred that actually went to court and I think there were less than thirty two hundred uh convictions. And it's still the same kind of uh treatment that the civilian uh courts look at. It's the fault of the woman, uh they must have done something. And now they decide that they used to transfer out the female or this sexually, you know, assaulted person to another unit. Now uh, they've decided to change that, and now they're going to remove the perpetrator from his <laughs> company and put it into another company. So that way the perpetrator can just keep going on and on and on with other, yeah. with other individuals. Uh and it's just they
1: tried that. They tried a, that with priests, and it didn't work right, very well. I
0: wasn't well. going to bring. I wasn't going br- to bring that up, but I didn't want to <laughs> allude to any other any other denominations or any other other people. They, I didn't want to be pointing a ratings, finger. You?
1: <laughs> I'm
0: trying to. I'm trying to. I'm yeah. trying to keep you on an even keel uh, that that this happens. But the, you know, there's so many out there uh, that are being abused. Uh, I, I talked to a, a female veteran, uh, active duty soldier the other day, and she's at a treatment facility for PTSD. And what she told me was, uh, very nervously, that uh, her, I guess it was her platoon sergeant, just shook his head and said, I don't know how you got PTSD. you only raped by one person. And, <laughs> you know, it's... it's, it's it's the I, I, I'm laughing
1: because I don't know what else to
0: do. <laughs> well, you don't want to. You don't want to. I mean, it's, it's 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 ignorance. That's what I'm saying. It's so comical. It's you know, comedy is either due to ignorance or stupidity, and there's shades of it all over. Uh, you know, it's just it's just that thing. And 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 if a woman defends herself and, and decides to take action against that perpetrator, then she's the guilty party. Yeah. And well, with the military trying to civilian
1: and, life, you know.
0: Correct. Correct. And with the military trying to reduce their PTSD statistics by downgrading uh, PTSD to behavioral health because of the symptomology, anxiety, depression, isolation—all these symptoms of of mental uh, illness—they're trying to downgrade PTSD to behavioral health, which says that okay, now instead of behavioral health, instead of PTSD, it's a form of mental illness, which means that they'll allude that okay, yeah, that you are somewhat nuts and. And I'm sure that probably the 20% of PTSD incident of you know of veterans probably have maybe some form of mental illness that they had before they came in the military that would have gone ahead and and, and shown up years later, yeah. but it's shown up after the PTSD incidents of being deployed. <coughs> These people are the ones who respond to the drug usage, to the drug regimen. Because that's what those drugs are for, for the neurotransmitters, the the, uh, serotonin levels, things like this. Those drugs work in those people because of the fact they do have a form of mental illness. But the people with PTSD, because of the memories of what they saw and what they observed and what they were involved with, they don't respond. Uh, You can go ahead and treat, you know, victims of domestic violence, with with Valians, with Alprazolans, lands, with all the other drugs to help to help them cope. But it's they're not mentally ill. They went through a bad experience. And why nobody wants to say we need to treat it differently and use whatever options we have. Uh, we should be using whatever's available. And we don't well, and Well
1: again when we were talking off the air, <clears throat> we were talking it's all kind of comes down to the bottom line. If we can minimize this or shove it into a different category then Correct. it's not coming out of our budgets,
0: right? Right, yeah. and we receive no funding from the federal government uh, or the VA uh, as far as for the training of the dogs for any of these veterans. It's at no charge to them totally. Yeah. Uh, I don't even. I won't. I very rarely let them even get involved in fundraising efforts, even though they want to. The ones that have, you know, have have moved and, and you know move on and are are in better control and can do things, I allow them to speak if they want to. But it's not mandatory. If they want to tell their story, fine. If they don't, that's fine. I don't have any demands on them. I feel that their obligation was and they served for us, my obligation is to make sure they have their new battle buddies so they can do things. And uh, it gives them back, you know, not only does it affect the life of the veteran that gets the dog, that has the dog, it affects his family's life, the quality of life they have. It affects the neighborhood. But more importantly, it affects the community. And when you put that person back into the community, there's no telling whose life he's going to touch that's going to do something good. Yeah. Yeah. You just don't know. So it's just not about a man or a woman and a dog. It's about the community that that person is in and what it changes in the community. And uh, that's, that's where the power comes. Uh, and I was asked very early in our in our program by a very, very wealthy person, you know, how many people can I help? And being naive I didn't know. I said, Well, there's many people that apply for dogs. And at that time we were had about ten dogs in training. And he says, Well, how many people do you think you can help? I said, Well, I'd have to figure that out. You know, I don't didn't do any uh extrapolations or research into, you know, putting this program together, it just happened. He said, "Well, do your homework," and I did. And you know, I came back with him. I said, "Well, if every state could do 60 veterans a year, that'd be 3,000 people you could help, which isn't bad. You know, 3,000 out of 200,000 that were coming home, which means you're only yeah. six years behind." Uh, but it always left me with an empty feeling that answer. And it wasn't until a year later that I was talking to the one of the call one of the veterans that had called us about a service dog that I. You know, he was feeling down in the dumps because he felt like he let me down as far as getting a donation. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, I didn't get you any money from this guy. I said, well, he didn't like dogs. I said, this wasn't Sam Walton. This was a guy that does not like dogs. You know, horses, cattle, whatever, would have been better. But he does not like dogs. He had one picture of a dog in his office. And I said, so don't feel bad. I said, but, you know, if it weren't for you, we wouldn't have 200 applications you know, at this time, 200 people that have applied to to get help. I said, if it weren't for you, you know, we wouldn't have six service dog teams. And this was, you know, September of 2011. And I said, so every time you feel bad about it, you just think about what you did, what you started, you know, and this is, this is Tad's all you, you helped start. You were the, you know, you were the inspiration for it. And then I started thinking, and it was actually – two years ago in 2011 during the Jewish holidays, that I was sitting and thinking about my six dog teams. I thought about my six dog teams, that's six warriors and six dogs, and then I thought six wives, and each one of them has three kids, that's 18 kids, and I'm not counting in-laws, outlaws, neighbors, community, whatever, and I'm thinking to myself, one dog team has now affected the lives of six people, that's six families, Six neighborhoods, six communities.
1: Yeah.
0: Then I realized what the man had asked me: How many people can I help? And it's and it's, it's 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 uncountable. It's intangible because you don't know how big the community is that that service dog is going to be around. Yeah. When he goes yeah. to a baseball game with his son, or to a dance recital with her daughter, and they have their service dog there and they're interacting with the other parents those people that they touch, touch other people. And it just, it's just, it's, it's a ripple effect. Yeah. So I did learn a lesson. I did learn a lesson from that conversation. And, uh, and it's made, made it a lot easier trying to help people. Because when you talk to the, the, the survivors of PTSD, they start to understand because you know what they've gone through from what you've talked to people about, uh, the the stories that I hear, the, not stories, but the the feelings I, I I share with other people, because I know that they don't go to Walmart, you know, during the day they go at two o'clock in the morning. They don't mm-hmm. go to the movies. They they don't do this. They don't do that. They stand on the right field line so they can watch your son play tee ball. You know, our 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 focus is to get you into the stands with your service dog so you can watch your son grow up playing baseball not being a bystander, to yeah. reconnect with the family. And that's where it becomes very, very rewarding to know yeah. that, you know, I haven't, We, you know, Patsaw has now helped 149 veterans with, team, you know, uh, service dog teams. Excuse me. That's 149 people. But then when you think of 149 communities across the country, that sounds even bigger. Yes, and it does and every service dog organization that can help with one one dog is helping one community it's looking at it as as what are you doing for this you're just not helping this one person yeah. you're helping an entire community and and so many of my the, the the people in our that are applicants that when they go through the program the first thing they want to do is pay it forward they want to train the dog for another person
1: yeah. or
0: tell somebody else about it and they just want to share what good they've done and what a dog has done for them. It gives them back their self-esteem, as I was saying before, you know, we got cut off. You lose your self-esteem because you think you've done something wrong, whether, you know, I mean, I I know of triple amputees that have PTSD because they're guilt. they feel guilty that they left their buddies still fighting on the battlefield. They stepped on the IED. They lost two legs and an arm. They're bleeding from all over. They're dying on their way in the helicopter, and they're worried about their buddies, their friends, and they have guilt that they left the battlefield. They were dying. They were saved, you know, through the advances of, of our, you know, medicine, you know, the military medicine and the, and the, you know, and everything else they can provide. But they still have PTSD because they left their buddies and they lost some other friends. It's no yeah. difference than the than the guy who walks off the battlefield realizing that some of his he, he's leaving healthy with most no cars, but he lost some friends along the way. And it's that brotherhood, that feeling, that they, they just don't feel worthy. And when they start training with a dog, when they ask their dog to do a sit, and they tell their dog to do it down, it's the same sit command that is a, a veteran dog trainer with 30 years of experience, tells his dog to do. Mm-hmm. And when you can make your dog do that, you're as good as anybody else all of a sudden. Yeah. And you start to, 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 to feel better about yourself. For the first three or four weeks of lessons, they start feeling like, well, this really isn't helping. It's not doing anything. I don't, see any, I don't see any benefit of the dog. After that fourth week when they are getting their dog to listen to them, it clicks in their mind that I can do this. The dog's listening to me just like my trainer tells their dog to do something. My dog listens to me.
1: Sure. And
0: from that fourth and, week on, it becomes a foot race. They can't wait to get to the finish line of the public access test. And they work harder. They do everything they can to just move forward. It gives them that confidence that they lost, it gives them that self esteem that they are well, it also, they didn't do anything I think, wrong.
1: Yeah, I think with, yeah, exactly. And I think it's the same thing with domestic violence survivors.
0: Correct. Are what I'm so saying. Yes.
1: Are, are you're, you're so, um, I don't know, at least emotionally beaten down mm-hmm. that you start thinking that you are not, that and you're usually being told you deserve it, and nobody mm-hmm. else wants you, so that confidence level is just awful. And sure. you're not used to having things behave the way you ask them to behave. You're sure. not used to being able to uh, and I'll use the word control because I you know I don't know a better word right now but to have any kind of control over any other thing and uh, to have that and realize that this animal this animal will listen to you this animal will do you know is concerned about you and your needs and and that can be a, a, a just an absolute gift to uh, many people, I think, especially domestic violence survivors, and you know, I, I can't say enough about how wonderful service dogs are. Let's talk about one thing. Well, you though. do take control I...
0: back. You do take control back of your of your of your own life. Yeah. You may never control anybody, but there is one person that you will control, and that is yourself.
1: Yeah.
0: And you won't allow and you won't allow that control to be taken away from you because you have your self esteem, your confidence, and your trust back in yourself. Exactly, exactly. And you can go forward, and you can go forward, yes.
1: Yeah. I I just can't say enough good things about the service animals. And um, I think that we've had um, decades of understanding physical disabilities and service dogs. Mm -hmm. But I think that we are just, you know, on the cusp of um, understanding, uh, you know, what the, the, unfortunately they call them psychiatric service dogs in the ADA, uh, but what these service dogs for non physical injuries can do, uh, to help a person, I, it just really is astounding. Um, for example, um, one of our people has, uh, some, uh, problems from the results of domestic violence. Couldn't find her car. And not like you and I couldn't find our car. Like, where did we park right. it? Where did we leave it? It was she could not find her car. Mm-hmm. And um, she would wander for a long, long time, you know, trying to locate right. a car. So she started not going places because, you know, you can't find your car and you're panicking. And right. um, so the world became very limited. And mm-hmm. she got a dog that would show her the way to her car. Correct. Correct. Very All of a sudden her world has opened up again. And she can go places. And she has, you know, the... The mobility and I mean it just it it just opened up her entire world, and uh, I don't I don't think we can minimize the effect that that has on someone. If you have PTSD and you are worried, you know what's going to be out there and and you know is there going to be a trigger and is it your world becomes very very limited. You limit yourself because you're afraid, and uh, you get a service dog and you don't have to be afraid anymore because now you have like you said the confidence. That
0: this dog's going to be there for you. You have a battle buddy. We yep, we we call them it. canine battle buddies uh, because they have your back. They have your six ah. of these. The military refers to it. But this yeah. is a this is a this is a this is a being that is non judgmental, It's unconditional. No matter what you do, this dog is going to be there, and you can go places with it, and you treat them. You know, I've had a couple instances where wives have gotten mad at their husbands because they love their dog more than they do. At Mm -hmm. at least that's what they think. But I have also have women that are very thankful that the dogs are that close to their husbands because they still have their husband. They don't have a flag that was wrapped up in a case given to them. And they would much prefer to have that husband next to them and a dog and have Mm -hmm. a, a flag saying he served honorably. Yeah. And that's if that's what it takes, that's that's what it takes yeah. to to make that family reconnect.
1: Yeah. And and like you said, even the people who are standing around you and walking around you for the most part with a very few exceptions I'd say, uh as you mentioned, people walk by you with your dog and they smile. They look at the dog and they smile. Um a lot of times of course they want to touch the dog and uh so you have to do a little bit of education there. Um
0: it is. Uh, as I put it, agoraphobia is a very, very strong part of PTSD mm-hmm. because, one, you you are afraid of people, and because you don't have a visible wound, you're even more afraid. However, mm-hmm. when somebody sees you with a service dog, they're not looking at you like, well, what's that person wrong? They see the dog and say, hmm, service dog, and the focus is on the dog. It takes mm-hmm. the focus off of you so you can actually talk to somebody. Now, there is some about service dogs and and not petting them and being involved with the service dogging. Yes, if a dog is working, then you really should. A seeing eye dog is going from point A to point B. A mobility assistance dog is going from point A to point B. A hearing assistance dog has to be concentrated on the person that they're listening for sounds for. The PTSD service dog because he's used for agoraphobia to take the focus off you, allows you to go ahead and talk to somebody else to improve your quality of life. If you want somebody to pet your dog, yes, they'll probably ask you and you can say, sure, you can pet my dog. Is the dog working? Yes. He's also a medical alert dog and he's focused on the handler that's holding the leash. It's not like you're giving him a free reign to go play. So in some cases, because you're trying to get back into talking to people. Yes, it is okay to go ahead and pet my dog.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, but it's well, not a What I always
1: dog, tell people is if I give the dog the command to say hello, then you can mm-hmm. say hello. So, correct, uh correct. You know, that it. way it's the your, dog knows. But you're, in,
0: but you're in control. And you're yep. in control of the situation. Mm-hmm. You are in control of the situation with your dog. And that's what I'm saying. Now, you've got your self-esteem back, but you also have the control. You can tell somebody, yes, you can tell somebody no, and you feel confident about it. Otherwise, Absolutely. if you didn't have the dog there, you'd just be there shaking. Well, do I say yes? Do I say no? But you yeah. have the control of your dog, and you have the control in the situation. Somebody has asked you, "Can I pet your dog?" Uh, and that's, you know, and that's up to you to say yes or no. My dog is working, or no, that's no, he's he's busy right now. Okay, well, I understand your dog's working, uh, yeah. but it's your decision the the thing also about the ptsd service dog he's really the, the smartest dog out there because when he's holding when you're holding the leash he's connected to you it's like a an electric wire running from a light bulb a light fixture to the to the plug uh you're on you're on you're on line with him and when you walk into a place you may notice your dog starts to pull you towards somebody else and you're probably thinking, oh why is he going that way the reason your dog is pulling you is because he smells the adrenaline, the, the fright in somebody else. And you're fine. If you had the adrenaline going on and you were triggered, your dog wouldn't be pulling you towards somebody else, trust me. But because somebody else has a trigger going on, he's trying to tell you, hey, let's go visit this guy because he needs help. And this, the PTSD service dog gets a, sometimes a bad rap that he's, he's more of a therapy dog than he... Yeah. Then he is a service dog, but he's he's really the highest working dog around because not only does he smell somebody else having a problem, but he's watching you because you're holding the leash. If you started getting anxious on the leash, the dog would just, okay, well, let's go take care of you because you're the one that needs help right now.
1: Yeah.
0: So this is why, you know, we based our training on therapy dog training because the therapy dog that goes and visits nursing homes, uh convalescent centers, uh participates in, in, in clinics and therapy groups, picks up on the other dogs all by himself. It's not a trained you cannot train a dog to go to somebody that has PTSD. They do it all by themselves. And sometimes I wonder is it just because of the of 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 what a canine is called, a dog. Have you ever looked at the word dog in the yeah. mirror? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Man thinks himself created in the image of God. I don't know if that's true anymore. I think it may be the dog because he's unconditional and he's non-judgmental.
1: Yeah,
0: exactly. And 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 and, and he sees more than people sees, you will know, see. So he's observant, and when somebody's hurting, he's looking to help them. Yeah. And that's what yeah. brought them out of the forest from being a wolf and led to the domestication, is they had a human canine bond before it was ever known as a human-canine bond. And and all the training that does is to enforce that human-canine bond between the handler and the provider of the service, which is the dog.
1: Um, Bart, let's talk a moment. Uh, There's been some discussion that I have heard, and uh, I'm sure you probably have too, of people who are kind of like faking having a service dog. Right. And I've seen it. I've seen it um a couple of times and there's mm-hmm. a lot of discussion around here about well requiring special licensing or requiring special um authorization um for a service dog so that there's no question and people cannot uh just pretend they have a service dog so they can take their pet right. with them. Right. Do you right. see that as a problem and if so um yeah.
0: yeah it's a problem but if they if you go by the ADA guidelines it states that a person must have a diagnosis from a from a from a healthcare provider but when you
1: go into a store with a dog they're not allowed to mm-hmm. ask you uh what your diagnosis ah, but,
0: is no they're no they're not but if you have a prescription from your from your doctor that says uh heather stark service dog medically indicated and dr dr jones what says what your problem is it just it just says it's a service dog that's medically indicated
1: yeah you are not no required to show that there. to anyone though um, but if
0: you want to show it to them, you can, but it doesn't yeah. it doesn't and i tell and I tell all my teams to make sure they carry that prescription with them if they have a prescription that has PTSD on it, I tell them to take off the p t s d they don't need to know what's wrong with you exactly. so instead with my what my so what my veterans do, they buy the patch that says PTSD service dog and sew it mm-hmm. on their vest, so it doesn't you know you're kind yeah. but yes i I have all my veterans because you have to have two proofs of, there's two pieces of paper that you should be carrying around. One is the proof that says you can have a service dog, and as I indicated, it just says service dog medically indicated. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say whether you have diabetes, seizures, whether you have PTSD, whether you have anxiety, whether you're a survivor of domestic violence. It just says it's medically indicated. The other part of it, the, the, what you have to carry is a copy of your current you know, health on the dog. It's been properly you know vaccinated, and you have a, a a legal license to have the dog that he can be out in public a rabies tag suffices, but you can rip a rabies tag off some other dog yeah. as long as you're carrying the paper that says you know with your name on it showing you the owner of the dog that the dog is you know has a has a vaccination current vaccination then you're fine and those two you can present and matter of fact, if somebody says you know what do you need a dog for well here let me get you my prescription for the dog oh okay, well. That's okay. Don't worry about it. Because that way you're standing up and saying, look, I've got the proof. Now, if they want to have a special licensing for it, that's fine. Then all they need to do is have a prescription from their doctor that says, this dog has been medically indicated for this patient by this doctor. It -hmm. doesn't have to have a HIPAA violation on there, which is your medical privacy information. Yeah, exactly. Because licensing does not require that. Now, you know, I would be the first to fight that says, no, you're not going to find out. You want to license these dogs, that's fine. You'll license them according to the fact that, you know, as an organization, we required, you know, a medical doctor to fill out a form stating a letter of recommendation to the person be given a dog for a diagnosis. But you're not going to know what that diagnosis is because you don't have needs for it. This right. is just to let this dog go in and out. And I'm, if they want to do, you know, licensing, that's fine. But they're going to have to do licensing at no charge. Yeah. Because some of these people don't need to have some extra money to go and put out more money for, for something that is, is guaranteed by the law of the land, which is the ADA. If a state wants to inform it, that's fine, provided yeah. no charge. We'll give yeah. you an identification badge, and that way you don't have to worry about it, and that's fine. Yeah. So yeah. I am in favor of if they want to do something to make it easier for everybody that has a service dog, that's fine. Yeah. And if a doctor wants to lie to a patient that, you know, hey, that's that's between the patient and the doctor. Yeah. And as long as the dog behaves in public and, and, and doesn't do anything uh, wrong, then, then that's fine too. That's what's necessary.
1: Yeah, I had an interesting experience just the other day in the grocery store. I had my dog with me. She did not have a vest and, and um, although the vest is convenient, it really is not required and we were having a very sure. hot day so I left the yes. vest off of her. Uh, one of the people in the grocery store the manager came over and said is that a service dog which he's allowed to ask and i said yes it is Mm -hmm. and he said and he said i know i can tell by his behavior correct so you know you can tell um um, a a service dog is well behaved um Mm -hmm. it it has to be uh, for its, you know, I mean, that's the first part of its training is to do the basics Correct. and learn his right. manners and his basic commands. Correct. And uh, if you have a dog that's, uh, you know, kind of misbehaving, you're allowed to ask the dog to leave anyway if the dog is a mm-hmm. So if you're a store owner and you are concerned that, you know, oh, this dog uh, doesn't appear to be a real service dog to me because, the dog is uh, barking or the dog is running around or, you know, whatever uh, inappropriate behavior that dog is expressing, if it's truly Correct. inappropriate, even if it's a service dog, you can say, please, you know, you need to leave uh, my my store, my premises, um, because the dog is not behaving properly, and that's completely legal. Correct. Well, listen, Bart, we've had a great conversation. I can't believe where the time has gone. Um, we just uh, have, well, thank
0: have been... thank you very much.
1: Yeah, we, we've we covered I, I a lot hope answered,
0: I hope I answered questions you wanted answered.
1: You did, and I, I think that we might have more uh, questions coming up. Uh, and if sure. so, I hope you'll come back and, and join us again. Always, always, uh, oh, always. Good. good, good. I always end our show with a little quote, and uh, I'll tell you, um, the best quote that I could come up with is, "I care not much for a man's religion whose dog and cat are not the better for it," and that's from Abraham Lincoln. Thank you for joining us, Three Women, Three Ways. We'll be back next week. You can also catch us on archives on uh, Three Women, Three Ways on uh, Blog Talk Radio slash Three Women, Three Ways. Thank you, and we will see you next week.
0: Bye.